energetics, and current events. From the housetops, coming up next. Our quest for happiness. Christ in his infinite love has provided us with the sacraments, which bring us the supernatural life of grace and enable us to persevere in it until death. We are so familiar with these sacraments that we often allow their meaning and importance to escape us. We need to have clear ideas about these very necessary helps in our quest for happiness, these bonds of unity between Christ and ourselves. We need to appreciate God's goodness in giving us the sacraments and manifest our appreciation by receiving them frequently and devoutly ourselves and by leading others to do the same. In a broad sense, the word sacrament means a holy thing, something which pertains to God. We know well the definition given in the small catechism, a sacrament is an outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. St. Augustine expresses the same idea thus, a sacrament is a visible sign of invisible grace instituted for our sanctification. Another definition is, a sacrament is an outward sign divinely instituted which signifies and effects our sanctification. These definitions include the three essentials of a sacrament, outward sign, inward grace, and divine institution. A sign is anything by which or from which we are brought to a knowledge of something beyond itself. Smoke is a sign of fire. There is often a connection between a sign and that which it signifies. In the case of the sacraments, this is very intimate. The sign for each sacrament shows, in an external, material way, what is actually happening in the soul in a spiritual, supernatural way. Cleansing, strengthening, nourishing, or forgiving. Further, these sacramental signs do not simply indicate that the soul has received the grace, but they are the means whereby grace is imparted. Other signs merely signify the effect, whereas those of the sacraments not only signify an effect, but also actually produce that very effect. The outward sign of each sacrament consists of two essential parts, the matter, usually of material substance, which we can perceive with our senses, such as oil or water, and the form, usually the words pronounced by the minister in performing the solemn act. In baptism, water is the matter. In confirmation, holy chrism. In the Holy Eucharist, bread and wine. In penance, the penitent's contrite confession and satisfaction. In extremunction, the anointing of the five senses. In holy orders, the laying on of hands by the bishop. In matrimony, the marriage contract. These words pronounced in administering the sacraments are the form. The union of matter and form by the intention of the person who confers the sacrament brings the sacrament into being. Christ made use of visible signs to bestow supernatural grace for many reasons. He always adapted his methods to our nature. We are made of body and soul, and so we have to rely on our senses to help us form our ideas. We understand a thing much better if our senses can grasp it. Furthermore, since the grace of the sacraments comes to us through these visible signs, we can see one another receiving the sacraments. Thus Catholics have a means of recognizing one another as members of the same society. Moreover, each one is drawn by the example of others to give public testimony of his faith and brotherly love. More importantly, however, 
Men sinned through an act that involved a sensible thing. To restore what was lost, God demands that something sensible be used. Another reason why Christ instituted these visible signs as means of conferring grace was to give us an opportunity to check our pride and practice humility. It takes humility for a human being to submit himself to these inanimate, non-living signs in order to receive grace. By receiving the sacraments, therefore, we are practicing the great and very necessary virtues of faith and humility. The outward sign that is the combination of the prescribed matter and form not only signifies grace, but actually imparts it. The priest pours water on the head of a child, signifying cleansing, and pronounces the formula of baptism. At the very same moment, the soul is cleansed and the guilt of original sin is removed because sanctifying grace becomes present in the soul. All the sacraments, when worthily received, confer sanctifying grace. This makes the soul holy and pleasing to God because it then shares in the divine life of God. The soul being immortal can never lose its natural spiritual life, but it can lose its supernatural spiritual life, the life of sanctifying grace. Baptism then, because it first gives this divine life to the soul, and penance, because it restores the precious gift when it has been lost by serious sin, are called sacraments of the dead. These sacraments are ordained to give supernatural life or sanctifying grace to the soul. The other five sacraments are called sacraments of the living, because to receive them fruitfully, the soul must be living supernaturally, it must already be in possession of sanctifying grace. The sacraments of the living do not confer the state of sanctifying grace, for grace is already present in the soul. They increase it. Besides sanctifying grace, each sacrament confers a grace peculiar to itself, called sacramental grace. This grace is really the beginning of a chain of actual graces. It includes a right or title to certain special helps, which, if used properly, will assist us to attain the end for which the sacrament was instituted. Usually we do not receive these sacramental graces until the need for them arises. For example, the sacramental grace of matrimony gives to the married couple when they need it the help necessary to discharge the duties and fulfill the obligations of their married life. The sacramental grace in penance helps the penitent overcome temptations, especially those which would lead him to relapse into the sins confessed and forgiven. Grace is spiritual and supernatural. Sensible things or outward signs could not in themselves produce it. Neither could any created being of himself give such power to material things. If these outward material signs do possess this power, it must have been given to them by Christ, who, having merited the grace by his life, passion, and death, has the right to dispense it as he wishes. Accordingly, Christ instituted the sacraments himself and determined all the essentials. In giving his church the power to administer them, however, he left many of the details to her. Thus the church has prescribed the ceremonies and the prayers that accompany the administration of each sacrament. She has surrounded the matter and form with a beautiful liturgical setting, which, except for a serious cause, may not be omitted without sin, although the sacrament would still be valid. The Church has prescribed these ceremonies for many good reasons. To give greater glory to God. To instill reverence for the sacred mysteries. 
to direct our attention to the graces received in the sacrament, to demonstrate more fully the spiritual effect of the sacrament, and to increase the faith and love of those who observe the administration of the sacrament. From the following of Christ. The love of things created is deceitful and inconstant. The love of Jesus is faithful and enduring. He that clings to the creature shall fall with its falling. He that embraceth Jesus shall be firmly rooted forever. The Secret of Mary by St. Louis de Montfort Total consecration to Jesus through Mary is the most perfect way for us human creatures to give ourselves to God our Creator. By it we imitate the Blessed Trinity. To give ourselves to Jesus through Mary is to imitate God the Father, who has given us His Son only through Mary, and who communicates to us His grace only through Mary. It is to imitate God the Son, who has come to us only through Mary, and who, by giving us an example that as He has done, we also should do, John 13.15, has urged us to go to Him by the same means by which He has come to us, that is, through Mary. It is to imitate the Holy Ghost, who bestows His graces and gifts upon us only through Mary. St. Bernard asks, Is it not fitting that grace should return to its author by the same channel which conveyed it to us? To go to Jesus through Mary is truly to honor Jesus Christ, for it denotes that we do not esteem ourselves worthy of approaching His infinite holiness directly and by ourselves because of our sins, that we need Mary, His Holy Mother, to be our advocate and mediatrix with Him, our mediator. It is to approach Jesus as our mediator and brother, and at the same time to humble ourselves before Him, as before our God and our Judge. In a word, it is to practice humility, which is always exceedingly pleasing to the heart of God. To consecrate ourselves thus to Jesus through Mary is to place in Mary's hands our good actions, which, although they may appear to us to be good, are often very imperfect and unworthy of the sight and the acceptance of God, before whom even the stars are not pure. Let us pray, then, to our dear Mother and Queen, that having received our poor present, that she may purify it, sanctify it, embellish it, and thus render it worthy of God. If you wish to present something to God, no matter how small it may be, says St. Bernard, place it in Mary's hands, if you do not wish to be refused. Great God, how insignificant everything that we do really is! But let us place all in Mary's hands by this devotion. When we have given ourselves to Mary to the very utmost of our power, by despoiling ourselves completely in her honor, she will far outdo us in generosity and will repay us a hundredfold. She will communicate herself to us with her merits and virtues. She will place our presence on the golden plate of her charity. She will clothe us as Rebecca clothed Jacob with the beautiful garments of her elder and only son, Jesus Christ, that is, with his merits, which she has at her disposal. And thus, after we have despoiled ourselves of everything in her honor, we shall be clothed in double garments, that is, the garments, the ornaments, the perfumes, the merits, and the virtues of Jesus and Mary clothe the soul of their slave, who has despoiled himself, and who perseveres in this self-abnegation. This is Peter and Jemmy, author of Hail Mary, the Perfect Protestant and Catholic Prayer, and you're listening to 89.3 WQPH Shirley Fitchburg. On the WQPH Community Calendar. In 2023... 
We're expecting to have tour two of the Holy Face Relic with Vicki Schreiner. As you know, she came here last year. We had five really major miracles happen. She's hoping to come in Lent. So if you want to be on the committee or maybe have her come to your church, we'd like to send her to different churches this time. Call us at 978-343-0893 and say, I'd like to have Vicki come to our parish, but I'm going to ask my priest first if he'd like us to come. Also, we have coming up in Lent, 40 hours, which is 40 continuous hours of Eucharistic adoration. We also have a pilgrimage this year, 2023, going to Canton, Ohio. That is the shrine of Rhoda Wise and Mother Angelica. And we ask you, what would you like to do? Where would you like to go? We'd like to do some day trips to Little Rose Farron. So we'll have a bus hired at a very modest price, and we can be going there and then stopping for lunch. I know some of you have some great ideas of what you would like our radio station to do. We have to be active. We have to evangelize our faith. It's our duty to help spread our Catholic faith. So if you have any suggestions of your own as to how this can be done, by all means, share them with us. Hello, this is Kendra Von Esch. Joy. What a beautiful word. Small but mighty, especially when that joy comes from God. But what if you're not feeling so joyful? Call out to Jesus. I like the little acronym, Joy is Jesus, Others, Then You. If we keep Jesus first in our lives, if we invite Jesus into our lives and our tasks, our menial everyday tasks, and then ask him to help us serve others, and then ourselves, we will be filled with the incredible joy and bring it to the world. For more inspiration, go to KendraVonesh.com. Hi, this is Peter and Jeremy of Your Prayer Intentions reminding you that if you want to get a prayer request to us, there are many ways to do it. You can email us at WQPH893 at Comcast.net. That's WQPH893 at Comcast.net. You can tweet us at Radio WQPH. That's Radio WQPH. You can post your prayer request on our prayer wall so that many people can pray for it. That's at WQPHradio.org slash prayer wall. Or if you're not a computer person, you can call us at 978 343 978-343-0893. For private prayer intention, simply say or send the word private. And we hope to catch you every Saturday at noon on Your Prayer Intentions right here on WQPH Radio. Goodbye and God bless you all. On the WQPH Community Calendar. Well, we received a wonderful note from Marcia Lane. And she sent this little note out. As you know, she does excellent pro-life work. She said, Dear Team Life, I'm wishing you all a wonderful new year, and I would like to invite you to the following event to kick it off all right. See the attached flyer. And the flyer said, Here at St. Cecilia's Church on Sunday morning, February 4th, from 10 a.m. to noon, Monsignor Moroni will present Reflections 
on proclaiming the gospel of life in a post-Roe world. Following this will be an hour of adoration of the Blessed Sacrament in intercession for all life, from birth to natural death. So mark your calendar, St. Cecilia's Church, February 4th from 10 a.m. to noon, with wonderful reflections with the very gifted Monsignor Moroni. Thank you, Marcy, for all your work, sending all those Christmas cards to the nursing homes. I'm sure they were very, very happy to get them. And she especially thanks Laura, Patrice, Patty, and Maria Christina for helping out with those Christmas cards for the elderly in local nursing homes. And she said, we delivered many, many beautiful cards. God bless them all for their hard work for life. This is Deacon Bob Connor of First Concerned Pregnancy Resource Center, Clinton and Marlboro, and you are listening to WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Fitchburg. Abortion is harmful. They tell you that it's a quick fix. It will solve your problems and allow you to get on with your life. Well, as many women will tell you, they're wrong. Few women have been told that having an abortion carries lasting physical and psychological consequences. Depression and despair are common after abortion. Women who abort have a six times higher rate of suicide than those who carry their babies to term. Teenagers who abort are ten times more likely to attempt suicide than teens who have not had an abortion. Compared to women who gave birth, women who aborted were 65% more likely to be at risk of long-term clinical depression. And the physical complications? Perperation of the uterus, hemorrhaging, cardiac arrest, major unintended surgery, infection, convulsions, cervical laceration, and possibly death. Women who abort are more likely to experience future infertility, stillbirth, miscarriage, and premature birth than women who have not had abortions. Women who abort not only put their own lives and health at risk, they also endanger the lives of their current and future children. Women who abort are 144% more likely to physically abuse their children. Women who have undergone previous abortions have a 60% higher risk of miscarriage. In the words of one post-abortive woman, I thought the abortion would free me from a responsibility I felt I was not ready for. Instead, it held me in bondage to feelings of regret, remorse, depression, and despair. My sanity was the price I paid. Women deserve better than abortion. The Manual for Total Consecration to Mary. This book contains the readings and prayers for St. Louis de Montfort's 33 days of preparation for consecrating oneself to Jesus through Mary. This manual includes complete texts from Holy Scripture, The Imitation of Christ, Montfort's writings and prayers used for total consecration, all in this one handy volume. Available exclusively from St. Benedict Center. Go to stbenedict.com gift shop and order your copy of the Manual for the Total Consecration to Mary. Our passions are the most powerful agents the devil can employ for our ruin. We must, therefore, overcome them or be ruined through them. They are, says St. Bernard, irreconcilable enemies. If we do not crush them, they will crush us. If, after having crushed them, we cease to watch them and to be on our guard against them, they will spring up again, 
will renew the attack and will put our salvation in danger. It is therefore necessarily a daily war which we have to wage, a war directed not merely against an isolated passion, but against all the passions which have their germ in our hearts. We must combat voluptuousness by the retrenchment of sensual pleasures, which are as a bait to it, turn away our eyes from creatures calculated to soften the heart, and promptly turn away our mind from the first dangerous thought which presents itself, saying with St. Bernard, When my God is hanged on a gibbet, can I indulge in pleasure? We must combat vain desires by the strength of soul which moderates them and contents itself with little. We must combat profane joys by the contempt of passing enjoyments, which a Christian ought to consider as too much beneath it to attract its esteem. Hatred is combated by the consideration that God pardons only those who forgive. Fear is repelled by the elevated sentiment that a Christian fears nothing except sin. Sorrow puts its clouds to flight by the hope of heaven. Presumption yields to humility, which confesses its weakness and powerlessness without the aid of God. We combat despair by the consideration of the mercies of God, of the merits of Jesus Christ, and the all-powerful and loving assistance of the Most Blessed Virgin. We overcome anger by silence, which closes the mouth as long as we are in a state of excitement, by the consideration of the meekness of Jesus Christ and of the opposition which exists between anger and reason. Lastly, we destroy envy by the spirit of Christian charity. Such is the war we must always wage against ourselves, now in refusing what is pleasant and now in imposing on ourselves what is bitter, happy if by dint of fighting we can arrive at that happy state in which the soul, mistress of vanquished passions, free and unrestrained, lives only under the guidance of the Spirit of God and of his adorable will. He who does not, however, arrive at this point must not be discouraged. He who dies while fighting does not the less merit the palm of victory, but he who does not fight will be lost. The more passions we have, the less reason we possess. He who takes counsel of passion takes counsel of a fool. Always before acting, we must open our mind to reason, our heart to grace, and put ourselves on the side of virtue against temper, and not on the side of temper against virtue. The Liturgical Year by Abbot Garanger On January 13th, the thoughts of the Church are fixed on the baptism of our Lord in the Jordan, which is the second of the three mysteries of the Epiphany. The Emmanuel manifested himself to the Magi, after having shown himself to the shepherds. But this manifestation was made within the narrow space of a stable at Bethlehem, and the world knew nothing of it. In the mystery of the Jordan, Christ manifested himself with greater publicity. His coming is proclaimed by the precursor. The crowd, that is flocking to the river for baptism, is witness to what happens. Jesus makes this the beginning of his public life. But who could worthily explain the glorious circumstances of this second epiphany? It resembles the first in this, that it is for the benefit and salvation of the human race. The star has led the Magi to Christ. They had long waited for his coming. They had hoped for it. Now they believe. Faith in the Messiah, having come into the world, is beginning to take root among the Gentiles. But faith is not sufficient for salvation. The stain of sin must be washed away by water. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16.16 16. 
The time is come, then, for a new manifestation of the Son of God, whereby there shall be inaugurated the great remedy, which is to give to faith the power of producing life eternal. Now the decrees of divine wisdom had chosen water as the instrument of this sublime regeneration of the human race. Hence, in the beginning of the world, we find the Spirit of God moving over the waters, in order that they might even then conceive a principle of sanctifying power, as the Church expresses it in her office for Holy Saturday. But before being called to fulfill the designs of God's mercy, this element of water had to be used by the divine justice for the chastisement of a sinful world. With the exception of one family, the whole human race perished by the terrible judgment of God in the waters of the deluge. A fresh indication of the future supernatural power of this chosen element was given by the dove which Noah sent forth from the ark. It returned to him, bearing in its beak an olive branch, the symbol that peace was given to the earth by its having been buried in water. But this was only the announcement of the mystery. Its accomplishment was not to be for long ages to come. Meanwhile, God spoke to his people by many events, which were figurative of the future mystery of baptism. Thus, for example, it was by passing through the waters of the Red Sea that they entered into the promised land, and during the miraculous passage a pillar of a cloud was seen covering both the Israelites and the waters to which they owed their deliverance. But in order that water should have the power to purify man from his sins, it was necessary that it should be brought into contact with the sacred body of the incarnate God. The Eternal Father had sent His Son into the world, not only that He might be its lawgiver and redeemer and the victim of its salvation, but that He might also be the sanctifier of water. And it was in this sacred element that He would divinely bear testimony to His being His Son and manifest Him to the world a second time. Jesus, therefore, being now thirty years of age, comes to the Jordan, a river already celebrated for the prophetic miracles which had been wrought in its waters. The Jewish people, roused by the preaching of John the Baptist, were flocking there in order to receive a baptism which could indeed excite a sorrow for sin, but could not effect its forgiveness. Our divine King approaches the river, not of course to receive sanctification, for He Himself is the author of all justice, but to impart to water the power of bringing forth, as the Church expresses the mystery, a new and heavenly progeny. He goes down into the stream, not like Joshua to walk dry-shod through its bed, but to let its waters encompass him and receive from him, both for itself and for the waters of the whole earth, the sanctifying power which they would retain forever. The saintly Baptist places his trembling hand upon the sacred head of the Redeemer and bends it beneath the water. The Son of Justice vivifies this his creature. He imparts to it the glow of life-giving fruitfulness, and water thus becomes the prolific source of supernatural life. But in this, the commencement of a new creation, we look for the intervention of the three persons of the Blessed Trinity. All three are there. The heavens open, the dove descends not as a mere symbol prophetic of some future grace, but as the sign of the actual presence of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of love, who gives peace to men and changes their hearts. Then is heard the Father's words, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The voice of the Lord shaketh the desert. 
maketh the flood to swell, that is, announces a new deluge, the deluge of divine mercy. From the House Stops is produced by the slaves of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, Still River, Massachusetts.